and he was a $12 million company. And when he implemented this next ERP, a Dynamics product, he was a $9 million company and his accountant was a little upset. So if you think about what was happening and we talk about discounts, what am I booking as gross sales? Uh, most ERP systems are going to book your net sales. So he had a product that booked gross sales, hit the discounts. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now, here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. Pricing and discounting will always be a religious debate in the organizations on who controls it. For pricing and discounts to work, you need your inventory and master data to be in order. Or the pricing strategies may fire back due to the inconsistent customer experience. Pricing and discounting are even trickier when multiple systems might be controlling master data and pricing and discounting. The multiple systems could be CRM, e-commerce, PIM, ERP, pricing software, etc. So what are the best practices when it comes to pricing and discounting across systems? In today's episode, we invited a panel of cross-functional experts for a live interview on LinkedIn who brings significant expertise to discuss ERP pricing and discounts, business processes, and best practices. We covered many grounds, including stories related to the nightmare with pricing and discounting, the impact of master data and inventory on pricing, the implications of ad hoc pricing arrangements in certain industries. Finally, we discussed the architectural implications of keeping pricing information in multiple systems, integration issues with CPQ and specialized pricing software, and each team's pricing workflows and boundaries. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's show. And if you are joining for the first time, this is part of our digital transformation series for which we meet every Thursday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. We pick one topic related to digital transformation, and we always have an expert panel that is willing to share their insights and wisdom. For today, we have a very religious topic, and the reason why it is going to be religious is because there are a lot of different ways of implementing the pricing and discounting, and there is always debate in terms of which is the right system to implement pricing and discounting, and everybody has their own preferences, but obviously there are going to be of those decisions. We are going to have a lot of fun uh, on that topic. Before we dig into that, we are going to start with everybody's intro. I am going to start with my intro. If you don't know me, I am Sam Gupta. I am principal at Elevate IQ. I've been doing uh, ERP and digital transformation engagements for roughly years, and obviously pricing and discounting is always to manage the expectations. At uh, Elevate IQ, we are the independent ERP and digital transformation firm. We help our clients with business process re-engineering, system selection, contract negotiation, enterprise architecture, system architecture, and ERP implementation. On that note, I am going to move to Chris for his intro. Hi, thanks, Sam. Chris Garadini, president and owner of Turnkey Technologies. Uh, we've been implementing Microsoft Dynamics ERP solution for 30 plus years. So pricing, discounts, you know, does it hit the top line, hit the discount line? Lots of conversation. So glad to be here. Thanks, Amazing. Sam. Thank you so much for being here, Chris. David Dozer. And today also we are going to have a little fun because we have two, two days here. So David, can I ask you to introduce yourself next? Uh, absolutely. Afternoon. Um, pleasure to be here, Sam. My name is David Dozer. I'm the president of Blaze IT. 
We're a um, reseller and implementer of Acumatica ERP solutions. Been doing this ERP stuff for about 20 years. Um, worked with a lot of different products and very excited about today's discussion because I have, I'll, I'll plant my flag on the hill of um, where I, I think the pricing should live. So it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out today. So yeah, we are definitely going to have fun debate. Thank you so much for being here, David. Tom, can I ask you to introduce yourself next? Sure. Hi, Sam. Hi, everybody. My name is Tom Rodden. I am the former CIO of Vary Medical Systems and uh, one-time Pricewaterhouse and Deloitte and Touche consultant doing big ERP implementations. Uh, now returning to my roots, so to speak, and focusing once again on ERP consulting. So um, happy to be here and a uh, very interesting topic, Sam. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Tom. Uh, Dave Chrysler, can I ask you to introduce yourself next? Yeah, thanks, Sam. Hi, everybody. My name is Dave Chrysler, and I own an operations consulting business working with leaders in manufacturing, construction, and cannabis to help them create the systems needed to grow their business. And I come to you today with more than 20 years in the uh, manufacturing operations space uh, where I help to implement several ERP systems. So excited to get in the conversation with everybody. Thanks for having me, Sam. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Dave. And if you are in the audience and joining for the first time, make sure you guys are posting your questions and comments because we are going to be reviewing them. We will make sure that we will answer during the show if we cannot get to them uh, because we might run out of time. If that happens, our panelists are going to make sure that they will get back to you. On that note, I am going to start with the first question with Chris. And Chris, when we look at pricing, there are always going to be layers and layers and layers of pricing group, okay? The more complex the system is, the more layers it is going to have. So when you look at different industries, what are the differences that you have seen in different industries when you look at the pricing and discounting? And I don't know if you're going to have any specific story that you might be able to share from industries that you have seen. So Chris, over to you. Sure. Thanks, Sam, for the lead. And, and you know, as, as I've been around pricing forever, there's there's so many different components to it and, and methods. So if we just talk about some of the methods, people assign static pricing, which means they visit it on a periodic basis and increase it or whatever based on cost movements. There's dynamic pricing, which means that price could be moving every day and it's a little more automated. There's some pricing that has a basis like a commodity, meaning if copper moves, the whole tree moves. So, so you think about the pricing architecture, but it, as we think about industries and yeah, in, in, in certain industries that are commodity based, they're going to have one different set of methods and there, there could be an electronic feed necessary to bring in that multiple that drives the behavior of the whole pricing. Manufacturing, again, if they're driving standard costing, a lot of times they're basing pricing off of standard cost. For better or for worse, we hope their standard costs are accurate in doing so. But again, as you implement pricing, again, I'm an ERP-centric guy, so I'm going to say right now that I think pricing should leave in an ERP system. I think it needs to be controlled. We don't like the front-end sales guys controlling pricing. Uh, but I really believe that we shouldn't be living on sticky notes and manual pricing. And as you, as you really look at how you set it up, and Dave's laughing because there's a lot of people that computer full of sticky notes. And, and, the, and the point is you want to take the people out of making pricing decisions. You want the system to default to pricing correctly based on the customer, the item, the quantities, any other parameters. And whether that's markups, markdowns, discounts, promotion, buy three, get one, buy five of these. But as Sam said, as the rules get more complex, Again, you need a system to manage it. And I think the one thing that a lot of times as people implement it, they lose sight of is just the maintenance. And so just as you, as you test setting it up and it works and all the numbers resolve, step back and act like it's the beginning of the year and you need to do new pricing. How do you do that? Where's your workbench? Does it compromise the old pricing? Can you do the new pricing with the old pricing? Keep working. All of a sudden, January 1, new pricing effective. So a lot of moving pieces. And uh, I certainly could add more. But Okay. Very interesting conversation. And I am glad that you are using the term pricing architecture because it does get that complex when it comes to pricing. So you mentioned a couple of layers there, setting and dynamic. And I don't know if people are really going to be familiar with, you know, how the static pricing works and how the diamond pricing works. Do you want to provide a sure. little bit more examples of yeah. how and be. what are going to be pros and cons of that? Sure. So a great dynamic pricing example. I've got a guy I'm working with uh, and they're in the computer industry and they sell online. And so pricing on his website is there's an algorithm that's ripping out there and getting all the pricing from the vendors and refreshing the web pricing. So and even who do I buy it from? Somebody buys it. What's the best price I can get it at? Maximize the margin. So if you think about dynamic algorithms, there's a perfect example where the e-commerce site, the back office system, you know, it's fetching, fetching purchase costs 
publishing list price, gets a transaction, it's looking for a better price before it books the sales order, books the PO. There's a great example of dynamic price. And again, I mentioned commodities. Commodities is, I've got a pricing architecture where I had the whole thing premised on the price of copper per pound. The entire tree layers, right? Contracts that just rolled, everything that had that dependency. But those are examples of, of dynamic that I've worked. And, and again, there's another setting you could see cost plus. So as cost moves in your system, you could see movement. And why do we do that? Because I always want 30% margin not markup margin. And again, if I have it static and cost moves, the end of the year, I'll see that maybe I realized 23 okay. examples of dynamic. Very interesting. Thank you so much, Chris, for that. So David, I'm actually going to come to you. So from your experience, when you look at different industries, and obviously there are going to be layers and layers and layers of the pricing rules, even though Chris is saying that he likes dynamic, sorry, he likes pricing to live inside the ERP. But in his example, it seems like that was communicating with the e-commerce and that probably was living inside it. So there could be a lot of complications when you look at these business rules and the price. So from your experience, when you go across the industry and when you look at these different scenarios, what have you seen from the pricing perspective where the complication is? Well, it definitely does vary quite a bit between industries and especially who the end end user is of, of the product and where you get into a big challenge a lot of times is sometimes we'll, we'll work with some manufacturers that are distributing both to distributors and potentially selling, you know, on like an e-com side as well. So when you're mixing between, you know, distribution channel and then end user type of um, type of function, that gets even more challenging because your distributors may have more static pricing. They're going to get volume discount breaks. Um, and then on that direct to retail side, you know, as Chris was mentioning, you may have more fluid or dynamic pricing involved in that you know i won't even get into when you get into working with 3pls and and handling that we'll we'll save that discussion for another day but you know i'm still a very firm believer of it needs to be maintained in the erp system and that really kind of needs to drive everything from there so when you're looking at setting that up you know we need to have those price breaks as discounts for those bulk buyers and distributors along with, you know, our per unit or, or each type of pricing. But then you layer on specific discounts, um, you know, around holidays, things like that. You may see that pricing move um, for special discounting. Um, and, and it becomes a challenge to maintain all of that. It's not just about who's driving that pricing, but the, the physical piece of making sure someone's going in, um, updating that appropriately, setting the appropriate date for the end of a discount. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of variables that, that go into that and it can be someone's, you know, full-time job sometimes to, to set that and, and keep that updated, but it's, it's important for it to live in the system. I've, you know, making the joke about folks having sticky notes, maybe with pricing written on it. I've literally seen people have a literal price book, not the price book in the system, but an actual book sitting on their desk and flipping through and saying, okay, it's, it's this product code. It's this um, type of distributor. Here's the discount. Here's the volume. So you, you got to get away from that and, and get it in a spot. Yeah. So very interesting conversation. So I am actually going to tell you a story from my perspective. This is the battle that I fight on a daily basis, to be honest with my customers. And in one case, I am I had hard time convincing this customer that they should be keeping their pricing inside. In respect of whatever I did, they just would not come. Okay. They were like, no, 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 no. Uh, ERP, I'm not doing it. And I'll tell you the reason why they said it, okay? So obviously, as you mentioned, the pricing could get very complex. Chris used the term pricing architecture. You use the term pricing book. When you are actually looking at the algorithm, the way the object hierarchies are going to be structured inside your ERP, the way you are going to be designing, that is actually going to drive how your pricing is going to be reflected for the channels. Now, setting that, that up, you probably need PhD for that. And as you know, marketers don't like to use ERP. They like to stay away from ERP as much as... Now, if marketing is controlling pricing, it's very, very, very hard to convince them that they should be setting this up inside, inside ERP, right? So from your experience, let's say if you are talking to this customer, and if they are not getting convinced that they should be keeping their pricing inside ERP, what would you say to them? What are the implications that can they see? Well, so the first thing, I always kind of go back and try to challenge folks a little bit. And, and you know, I don't want to say force them to explain their pricing model, but, you know, po pose that question like, does it really need to be this complex and this complicated? And if so, why? Because you're going to run into a lot of challenges with you're going to be you're going to be booking orders with incorrect pricing. You've got the human 
element in there of, of making mistakes. And anytime you have a disconnect between who's actually setting any sort of data, in this case, pricing, and the folks that are doing the data entry, putting that into the system, booking those orders, then you're leaving yourself open to, you know, a huge amount of errors and issues. So, you know, I'd say kind of take a step back and understand why is the pricing like it is and what can we even do to simplify it in some cases? You know, optimally, I like to help kind of push people towards like, can we get it by a you know certain type of customer, a certain type of product, and a certain price level based on that? Let's make it as kind of broad as possible, and then refine from there. Because you know when your pricing's off, your margins are going to be off. I mean that's that's matriculating all the way through to the general ledger side and your your P and L, and you know not appropriately reporting what revenue is. And that's something, you know, it might be pennies here or dollars there, but over time that, that uh, adds up. So that has huge implications. And, you know, it's maybe about sitting down and, and revisiting their pricing and, and why it's done like it. It's that age old why question. Okay. Amazing. Thank you so much, uh, David, for that. Tom, I am going to come to you. And obviously in your case, you are going to have another layer of complexity, which is called regulatory. And that is going to drive a lot of things from the pricing perspective. You are going to have unique challenges. So when you look at the pricing across the industry, what have you seen? Do you have any stories uh, related to pricing that you might be able to share? There are many stories I could share and time will not permit. Um, so maybe one or two. But, you know, I, I tend to look at this somewhat like uh, the rest of our gang here on this webinar have said that uh, complexity is the enemy in many respects. You have to deal with it to the extent that it's uh, the nature of the beast, right? If you have a complex product, if you have a complex supply chain or distribution network, those are complexities you can't wish away. And so you're going to have to deal with that. But to start to introduce unnecessary complexities, such as I'm going to do this in a completely different system, not ERP, for example, uh, where I'm going to now have to duplicate customer master I may have to duplicate uh, product master. I, you know, all of these uh, additional exchanges of data are going to need to take place. Interfaces are going to need to be developed. Uh, maybe dual system maintenance of some kind, if I can't automate it all, um, even if I can automate it, the maintenance of that integration and automation, you're introducing a lot of additional, and I think often or usually unnecessary. So I am also, like some of my colleagues here, a big advocate for one place, and that one place would be best to be ERP. I'll give you an example. Um, uh, at, at the last place I was CIO, one of the things we were looking at very closely, and I've shared this with you before, Sam, was uh, the idea of moving pricing really out of ERP and into uh, our CRM, which was Salesforce. And one of the challenges that we simply could not resolve, and ultimately we abandoned that note, was around the customer master. Whereas our ERP could handle the complexity of sold to, build to, ship to, groups and layers of groups. Yep. Uh, Salesforce was not designed with that level of complexity. So for us in our industry, the customer and, and the distribution network was complex enough where we said, it's not going to work outside of ERP. It's not even easy in ERP, but at least we have more functionality to utilize. And so that was one big example for us. But I was, as you, you sometimes criticize me, Sam, I prepare too much for these. And, and you know, I kind of was looking and saying, you know, how do I look at this? And I really do look at it as a complex matrix, 2D or 3D matrix, yep. right? Where, you know, your product portfolio uh, is one aspect of this that drives maybe simplicity or complexity. But you also have, I think, really two fundamental choices, even as Chris was saying at the beginning around pricing. Either it's going to be static or it's going to be dynamic in some respect, flexible. And then you introduce a third level of complexity, I think, which is the forms of discounting. And I was kind of just checking out, you know, like, so there's, there's certainly customer discounting and you could argue maybe distribution channels and uh, layers of distribution are uh, a form of channel or customer pricing. But again, it's, it's, it, there's one layer. If it's direct to customer, there's multiple layers. You're trying to control downstream pricing to the end customer. You've introduced new layers of complexity, but there's volume discounting. There's loyalty discounting. There's um, a promotional discounting. There's 
financial discounting, you know, if you're talking about terms and conditions management um, and so on. So uh, if you want to do all of that uh, well, again, you need to eliminate other forms of complexity that are not absolutely necessary, in my opinion. And to kind of close, I say for now, you know, one of the biggest challenges that we wrestled with in the last few years around pricing and discounting was actually approval. The workflow for approvals. So now integrating your organizational complexity into this whole pricing and discounting process, it, it was it was truly daunting, especially when it wasn't even layers of of, of authority uh, and in organization differ between America, Europe, Asia, uh, and you you really find it's becoming a very custom set of workflows. Again, new complexities, maintenance overhead. Um, so again, you're going to have to deal with your own organization, with your products, with the nature of, of, of pricing and discounting and all its forms. And, you know, you better think from a systemic point of view, how do I bring it all together? Because it's already a crazy mess. Yeah. So very interesting. And I'm glad that you are calling this as 2D, to be honest. In my experience, I think this is 40D, okay? 4-0. Because that's how complex it is. And now I completely agree with David that, you know what, you need to make your pricing the challenge. And I'm actually going to continue with the same question where I struggle with these people. And the challenge they are going to have, you know, marketers are never going to come to ERP. And this goes back to your comment, Tom, about this whole approval workflow, who's going to be doing what, how the pricing is going to be communicated. <clears throat> marketers are going to say, hey, I'm looking for these crazy discounts. And now these guys need to go and figure out how this is going to be mapped inside ERP. And that's a rocket science, trust me, like mapping that. So even if you have very simplistic pricing, translating that in the ERP, especially if we are talking about complex ERP, simpler ERPs, no problem. It's not as complex. You can still deal with it. But when you are talking about real complex, okay, they have far deeper capabilities overall in terms of what they can do from the pricing and discounting perspective. So now, um, again, Tom, let's say if you are talking to this person, she or he is not getting convinced that they should be coming to ERP. Too complex. You know, I want all of this. Too complex. I'm not going to touch it. So how would you convince this person that, no, you have to really learn the process of translation, even if you simplify the pricing, great, but you have to learn the process of translation. Well, I mean, the, the word architecture was used a while back, and, and yeah. I'm I'm fundamentally an IT consultant and an IT guy. Um, and so, you know, one of the things I would do would be to lay out the system architecture and say, okay, so if you want to do this over here, these are going to start to be some of the data flows that are going to have to support that in order for it to work. And now, you know, you're going to have to not just take ownership of pricing, but in some way ensuring that the data upon which you're doing this pricing, what it's built is actually current. So now, you know, the, you need to own some of the responsibility for that. And, and, and so I think I think there's a, a certain degree of of fear and workload that you could you could clarify for the person who wants to do something elsewhere, not directly in ERP. And also, you know, as, as an IT guy, I often think that there are elements of customization that can be done for the interface at least, where you can simplify. You know, there are oftentimes in many complex ERP systems, really ugly screens and transactions that have way too many fields and, and are just so, offer so much capability, much of which you don't need or ever use, that if you could really customize that a bit, make the interface, the human interface simpler, people would be much less bothered by the fact that it's ERP. So I think a combination of education on the architecture, integration, data maintenance, uh, challenges and risks, plus the, um, you know, offering, uh, you know, it's carrot and stick, let's say, you know, the carrot being, you know, offering some improvements in how to utilize the ERP system. Again, without making fundamental changes, but more on the, on the graphical user interface, right? I'm going to make this a little easier I'll clean up the, the the screen, give you like a bit of a custom interface. Those kinds of things I think are entirely doable. 
and overcome, you know, the combination can overcome that resistance. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Tom, for that. So, Dave Freisler, I'm actually going to come to you. So, you know, we have had a lot of different fun discussions about when it comes to ERP implementation. If you are going to ask somebody who is doing it for the first time, they are going to say, easy, right? Uh, integration, easy. How hard could it be? <laughs> but when it comes to implementing pricing, it sort of struggles. So, from your experience, when you are looking at different industries, when you are looking at different pricing scenarios, what have you seen? Yeah, thanks, Sam. And I, I think everybody's done a really nice job of kind of uh, laying this out and setting the stage for it. I mean, like everybody, I, I you know, deep down uh, agree that the pricing needs to remain in the ERP. Uh, but unfortunately, to your point and Tom's point and, and some others, uh, that's not always the case. And it, in my experience, it becomes this issue, you touched on it a little bit, um, but the way I see it is really these siloed uh, departments. So, you know, you brought up uh, marketing as the example and, and how they want to interface and that they are not typically interested in interfacing directly with the ERP. And that's that's been a lot of my experience, um, you know, working with an organization where we did have a, a fully integrated ERP. We were running standard cost and we had an e-com system. And so on the e-com side, and this is a B2B business, uh, wholesale pricing. And on the e-com side, what ended up happening because the e-com was really developed by our marketing department, you know, that's where that started. You already know where the story's going. So, you know, from, from an operations standpoint, right, what did we have to do? We had to pull pricing out of the ERP and then we had to basically, you know, manually interface with that. We were doing a lot of import export. We were trying to build out Excel spreadsheets to ultimately get to the point that we could build the static pricing in the e-com side. So, you know, first go around, no big deal, right? Hey, everything goes smooth. You know, everything's perfect. We do all the checks and balances, you know, pricing looks great. And, you know, what happens to that over time, right? As standards change, as things change in the ERP, if you are not going back and auditing on a really consistent basis and you're not going back and checking to make sure and doing all of those manual touches, you just introduce problem after problem. And in, the, in this specific example, the biggest problem that we would face on any given day is that we had, I think, you know, Chris brought it up, which is why I was laughing about it. But the the sticky note situation, well, in this particular case, it was, you know, published pricing to the market. So we had a catalog in the market. So published printed pricing. Then we had ERP pricing, right? So configured pricing when somebody would call up. And then we had e-com pricing. And so, you know, it became a real challenge from the customer facing side side. How are we going to price this order? Well, it depends on the, you know, the way that the actual opportunity flowed into us, which I'm sure, as you can imagine, would create issues, repeat orders from people saying, well, last time it was this because I brought it in this channel and it was just a really manual, manual process. So kind of to, to, to put a bow on the things that you guys were talking about. If you are in the process of looking at something like this, much to what Tom and Chris alluded to and, and David as well, you know, you really have to start with the architecture side of this thing and understand not just the internal implications, but how does that architecture deliver what the customer is ultimately trying to get? And how do you do that with the fewest number of touches with the most consistency possible? And again, in my experience, outside of that one particular example, uh, it's going to be living in the ERP. So that is your source of truth. And everything else is going to be built on and blown out to these other uh, these other pieces. So if you have catalog pricing or established pricing or a price guide or anything market facing, that comes from the ERP. It's not some third party system that you've gone through and created a bunch of different, you know, manual estimates to ultimately create this pricing guide for the market, which I've seen that happen. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you want to have one source of truth with it and make sure that that uh, that is your most updated, accurate piece of information. And then, as I said, uh, take that and blow that out to the other channels that it needs to be. And I, I found in my experience, that will be the uh, path of least resistance. So you may have some challenges when it comes to getting uh, everybody in the organization on that same page with ERP being the source of truth. Uh, but in the long run, it you will be better 
uh, internally and I believe externally served uh, if if you do that and go through that. So very interesting story and the example as well. And I think there are a lot of different layers that I want to touch on. So number one thing is even if you are using ERP as the source of truth, and technically they might claim that, you know, ERP is my source of truth, but the pricing is actually residing in the other channels. So, you know, so even though it might be source of truth for a lot of different data, but for pricing, it, it might not be. Now, let's do a little rundown of your scenario. Okay, so you mentioned that you have many different channels. I'm going to have my e-com channel. I'm going to have my pricing right here. If the opportunity comes from my e-com, I'm going to look at my pricing list. I'm going to give that pricing, right? Now, let's go back to our ERP, the B2B channel, right? So in B2B channel, I am going to look at that pricing. One of the things that nobody touched so far is going to be the inventory. And that is going to be the underlying thread that ties everything. And in my experience, inventory is all over the place, typically in companies. It doesn't matter whether they have decentralized source of truth or not. You know, it's just all over the place. And that actually drives the pricing algorithm as well, because that is going to be one of the variables for your inventory. So not for your pricing. So from your experience, when you look at this siloed, and even though you are saying my ERP source of truth, but you still have pricing sitting in three different places because that's where it belongs, because it belongs to that channel, but you still have to have that control, centralized control for all of these channels. So from your experience, what have you seen? I mean, have you seen any challenges in this architecture? Yeah, I mean, in that specific example, it was going to be a custom build product, so it would not have impacted like a finished goods inventory. Um, but to your point, yeah, if, if you know, if, if you're if you're you know saying that you're maintaining your source of truth in ERP and you're you're blowing that information, let's say let's say you're you're taking that inventory values and publishing that on the on the e-commerce uh, side, if you have no checks and balances in there, right? What what happens? Stock outages, overcommitments, uh, you know, no replenishments uh, on on the uh, supply chain side, if that's the case, depending on how some works. So yeah, the the complexities touch, uh, and, and again, depending on what your model is, the complexities there are going to touch all of that. And and back to uh, you know what what several people have said here, um, the only way, in my opinion, to combat that is to make sure that you have that architected and that you have those uh, layers of understanding. And back to what David said, you try to eliminate those complexities and make that source of truth uh, because it's it's really the only way to avoid these uh, competing issues and dissatisfied customers. Because that's really what we're talking about with it. It's that lack of consistency that happens throughout all of these manual interactions. And, and it's just it's it's extremely hard to control. It's, you know, near to impossible to audit. Um, and so it's uh, it becomes a real challenge for people. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Dave, for that. So, Chris, I'm actually going to come to you. And this uh, segment is obviously going to be slightly more technical and architecture related. You know this, right? So here, one of the things that nobody has brought up so far is going to be the pricing software. There are a lot of different ones, okay? You have the real pricing software. That sits on top of ERP just because ERP pricing is too complex. I cannot do this, okay? <laughs> so you are going to buy a pricing software. Now, imagine when you are going to buy a pricing software how much data you need to have and a lot of that is actually going to be your map so you are creating the data silo that tom was talking about where you need to get the customer information you need to get inventory you need to get pricing and in my experience i think that is going to be all over the place let me add one more layer to that if you look at the real dynamic pricing okay the way real dynamic pricing works is it's going to be similar to your amazon where you are literally scraping the inventory information of your competitors you are scraping the pricing information of your competitors and then you are changing your price. You are going to have a lot of fun with that when you are going to have the pricing so dynamic. So when you look at the entire architecture and when you have the pricing sitting in many different systems, Chris, so do you see any issues with this? Let's say if companies are trying to utilize either the dynamic pricing scenario or they are trying to utilize another pricing software in the architecture. Yeah, I mean, it, it brings up a couple of problems. And if you think about the core ERP, and even if the ERP supports the pricing rules you're trying to implement, because that's the first comment is people come up with grandiose ideas on how they're going to price and it doesn't fit in the ERP or it fits in the ERP. But then the, if you had to, if you send the transaction to the customer and ask them to type it into his system, it's broken. They can't key it in. So, so we create rules that are not real usable. And I think that's a great test is can my customer put in a PO that 
or I'm sending him something for free. It's not on the PO. That's a different problem. But to the point about the pricing systems, and if we think about what David said about replicating pricing, imagine the challenge with dynamic pricing. Oh, well, the price is calculated when I type a sales order. Well, that's a problem. How do I send that price to the e-com site unless does the e-com site have to replicate the business process rules identically? And there now we're in two different worlds because we've concocted stuff. The ERPs have a lot of standard formula support, discount support. And, and this comes back to why people would take the prices out of an ERP, formulate them, and push them back in static because then I can replicate them. But now we're right. We're creating all the permutations to push to an e-com site. So there's a whole complexity a lot of people don't think about. You know, if the ERP is doing dynamic, like hierarchical pricing that's calculated based on the date, the time, and who you are, and again, to mirror all those rules is really challenging. So I, here we go back to an external product, right? And yes, we're pulling out sales history. We're pulling out costs. We're pulling out and we're looking at margin analysis. And great, we formulate, we got to push it back in. Creates a lot of integrations. Um, I've got one client we did where they actually dumped the price sheets, dump everything out. We have a tool that dumps them out. They work them in Excel, they import them back into static. And so that's that's their process that works for them. Um, one other comment since I'm talking, as we think about pricing, I, I've got a horror story. There's a guy that was on a, a different ERP system, and he was a $12 million company. And when he implemented this next ERP, a Dynamics product, he was a $9 million company, and his accountant was a little upset. So if you think about what was happening, and we talk about discounts, what am I booking as gross sales? Uh, most ERP systems are going to book your net sales. So he had a product that booked gross sales, hit the discounts, and then gave him net sales. So again, he lost oh. 3 million top line, still EBITDA, but you think about emotional. So if you think about pricing and how it impacts your PL, that's just another topic that we hadn't talked about is what do I want to recognize as my gross sales and a 25% top line reduction. Is, but uh, anyway, more comments. So very, very interesting conversation. And one of the layers that I don't think anybody has digged deeper, and that is going to be the CPQ layer that Tom uh, was talking about. And I think that's where the real complexity in my experience, and that's where the sales and marketing teams, they just don't want to go to ERP. And I get their perspective as well, why they would not like to go to uh, the ERP for their processes. Now, when you look at the CPQ, you need pretty much everything to be able to code, to be able to price. And typically, they most companies are not fine having their sales and marketing go to ERP for any sort of code information. So now you are looking at the pricing data, you are looking at the product data, you are looking at the customer data. Have you seen any specific challenges when you are implementing CPQ as part of your ERP implementation? It's, it's a ton of integration work, as you pointed out. So the CPQ I put on the front of Dynamics is absolutely deriving all of those details for subcomponents. So when I grab a base unit and I'm adding, changing paint colors or adding additions, it's it, again, it knows what sub-assemblies I'm adding to this. It adds routing, it adds labor, and it's dynamically raising the price. So those aren't static price, but the subcomponents or the options are going to be deriving pricing out of the ERP as you do those combinations. So again, tons of integration work two-way. Typically, if you look at CPQs, they should be built for the ERP. That means their integration is really tight as opposed to them say, oh, we integrate with everybody. But, um, but absolutely, lots of integration work. It's no different than what we're talking about e-commerce. These are two-way loops that are moving quite often here. So, and you know, the one thing we're not also talking about, as I mentioned it, is on the purchasing side. You know, everybody focuses on pricing on the sell side. Well, if you think about your purchase contracts and turn it around, well, how do you, you know, a lot of purchasing pricing doesn't have the same mirrored complexities that we have on the sell side. And again, if I'm the buyer, I have the same type of pricing interaction relationship between my customers. So I think we ignore the, the buy side pricing costing complexities, but they really need to have the same capabilities that we see on both sides. To that point earlier is that the vendor, I can't put that into my system, right? Because they don't have the, ca the capability to, to book a PO that correlates to the way the sales orders are coming out. So there is a two-way look here as you think about just pricing on both sides. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Chris, for that. Uh, so David, uh, I'm actually going to come to you, uh, obviously David Dozer, and integration when we talk about the integration. In my experience, I am more of a, you know, half glass full kind of a guy. Uh, you know? And in my experience, integration never works, irrespective of how easy people might position. They just don't work. Okay. So in what I am really looking for is the horror stories, surprising horror stories because of integration. So uh, do you have any stories that you might be able to share because of multiple systems, multiple systems keeping pricing and the master data and implications because of that? Yeah, and I'll, I'll kind of align with some of that, that CPQ um, conversation there as well, because that's generally a, a lot of times where things kind of start to break down when you're looking at integration type work. And, and in the past with some older ERP systems I've, I've worked with where we've tried to integrate into a, a CPQ and, you know, we've done it successfully, um, but I've also run into a lot of challenges around that because you've got all these moving parts 
um, integrating that pricing and especially to some of the points that Chris was making there. You've also got a lot of decisions to make too about rolling up pricing versus if you still keep kind of a static pricing. Um, and where I've seen it really become a challenge is with clients that are kind of in industries around what I would call, I wouldn't call it willy-nilly pricing, but I would call it um, project-based pricing or, you know, where the, the sales folks have a lot of flexibility and how they want to derive a pricing. So, you know, kind of in conjunction to that CPQ, you'll see, you know, maybe you're building out a very specific product. Um, and depending on pricing you may be getting from your supplier, kind of tying it back to the purchasing side, you may get a certain multiplier on your standard price and say, okay, well, in this deal, we're going to cut you a better multiplier. And then you say, okay, well, I want to make 33% on that. So you might actually end up selling that at a slightly different price um, for that configuration than you would a slightly different configuration. So to integrate that and manage all of that between like CPQ program and the ERP becomes very challenging and the timing can become challenging as well as far as so, you know, which one's the master, who's pushing the data, what's all my available configuration, so all my features and options, you know, what's driving that. So it, it becomes a very complex type of situation when you take all those variables, put them in, and then you start trying to move data um, back and forth between the two systems. And you know, like I said, we've in, in past with some legacy type of ERP systems, we've managed that successfully. Others, not quite as successfully when you get into a lot of those complexities and you kind of end up having to say, okay, well, we're going to go into one or the other. And then what we ended up doing was, you know, kind of handling things externally and simplifying on the ER, ERP side what ultimately got pushed back and you know you just kind of got a part and here's the price and, and the cost and that's not perfect world but for that client it ended up working but there's a lot of challenges that come into play when you're talking about that much data. Okay, amazing. And by the way, I mean, see, when you use the term willy-nilly, I thought you were being gentle because last time when I, <laughs> when I spoke to a guy from oil and gas, to be honest, they said that, you know what, there are no rules in oil and gas. When you are actually on an oil well, you know, you can pretty much do whatever you want and that's become, that becomes your car. Well, to, to those ends, yeah, we, we work with a lot of industries where, you know, perfect world, you want that pricing to be very set. But um, yeah, I'll, I'll go back to my willy-nilly, um, you know, pricing where it is, you know, the appropriate way to say it would be everything is very job specific. So this one job is going to be priced potentially significantly different than, than something else. So, you know, to still have structure in the ERP can be very important is very important as well you know even as you still need some rules around that to to guide you know the folks that are doing the sales and, and closing these deals to still not to keep it from just being a total free from all free for all and just you know back of the napkin type price and I'm like uh i think that this job will be one hundred twenty thousand dollars. You, you know you, you gotta you gotta put some structure in that Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, David, for that. So, Tom, I'm actually going to come to you. Obviously, you have tons and tons of uh, integration experience. I don't know whether you are going to be in my camp where I uh, you know, believe that the integration doesn't really work in my uh, So, from your experience, when you are integrating with the CPQ, and you have done one of the most complex integration that anybody can ask for, because in the regulatory industry, the CPQ processes are going to be far more complex. The pricing control needs to be far more complex. That requires far more data accuracy uh, across the systems. Otherwise, you are probably going to be burned just because of the inconsistency and the integrity of the data. So when you were doing the CP CPQ integration, have you found any sort of challenges with respect to pricing? No challenges, Sam. No, no. challenges, right? <laughs> no. Um, there, were, there, were, there were some challenges, sure. You and I don't agree, which is not typically the case, but in this case, I would say you and I do not agree. And wearing my IT hat, uh, I would say that integration can be done well and can work. Um, but you have to be very clear. I think I'd agree with Chris's comment. He, he, I think you, at one point, Chris started talking about sort of a master-slave relationship. And you, you know, I, I agree again, uh, ERP ought to be the master, CPQ ought to be the slave when it comes to pricing. Now, um, the integration itself, is going to be complex enough. I go back to my my old comment, you know, about don't introduce unnecessary additional complexity. So make one source the master, and other systems, if there have to be other systems, become, if you will, the slaves. 
Um, so that's that's one principle that I believe in very strongly indeed. And I think you you establish some clear rules like this and you can make the integration work. But once you start to get sloppy and introduce too many exceptions uh, under certain circumstances, you know, uh, we allow all the updates to be done in uh, CPQ and that'll, that'll be a bi-directional interface. And under certain circumstances, you know, you're, you're looking at a freight train coming. Um, it's going to get messed up. Um, and I'm avoiding other language. Um, so um, I, I would I would say that you can do it right, but you have to be extremely rigorous and clear. Now, um, were there moments when, in my experience, I and my team or the consultants we were working with uh, were not absolutely rigorous and clear? Uh, occasionally. And, uh, you know, what, what were some of the results? Well, you know, one big challenge was uh, in the CPQ and ERP space where uh, at one point people were looking at CPQ pricing as features based. We want to talk to the customer about the features they're interested in. And based on that, we will price the package or the solution. But that didn't really line up with the product structure, the bond structure, and how, you know, it, there was great difficulty translating between these two concepts of product definition. So again, here's where you, know, you have to be very clear and rigorous about these fundamental elements of product, of customer, and, and, and again, introduce some kind of master-slave uh, relationships in order to keep those integrations working, to get them working and to keep them working. Um, so, and, and one of the things I was going to toss out there um, as not necessarily a, a, a CPQ ERP type of complexity, but uh, more uh, how, how what, I don't even know how to classify this. The, the example that I was thinking about was intercompany pricing. So everybody's thinking generally when they talk about pricing about end customer or maybe B2B, uh, the complexities of channels and layers. Um, and maybe even, I think as Chris called out so well, you know, uh, the whole other end of it on, on procurement. Um, but intercompany is often left till, till the end or forgotten. And there are all kinds of complexities there that are different from the other forms of end customer or channel customer price. And, and that was an area where we got into real challenges, I know, in my experience, where um, how we were pricing for uh, intercompany to the UK, France, Asia PAC met with real issues with local customs authorities who said, you know, you have to have a certain margin. We want to be able to uh, either tax in country from the, the tax authorities or we need to be able to, uh, you know, have our import duties uh, at, at the right level. And, and this introduced a whole new set of legal complexities, financial complexities. And, and of course, there has to be some argument that our intercompany pricing does make sense. It's not just an arbitrary decision vis-a-vis -vis our actual end customer pricing. So, you know, we can't be selling into the market at completely, you know, prices higher than what our end customers are and taking losses in the local, local, local organization, basically paying no tax um, because, you know, we're either selling for no margin or, or negative margin. And you know, that's, that's going to be a problem. So that whole piece of a global company's pricing uh, in, in itself is complex. And then on top of that, it needs to fold into this, this customer channel uh, pricing structure as well and make some sense. You have to stand up, I mean, in front of tax authorities and customs authorities, be able to defend uh, if you want to avoid getting penalized. So those are those are additional aspects that we found very challenging. So love it. Amazing insights there. So now let's do a run through of, you know, whatever you spoke. So obviously, as the business guy, you know, I have so many different challenges to worry about. I have my legal challenges. I have my regulatory challenges. I have my sales challenges. Obviously, I need to close my. One thing that I don't want is obviously technicals because that is going to be in my control. And when you are looking at the integration, irrespective of how the smooth integration is going to be, there are going to be exceptions. And I think you did mention that, you know what, 
You can simplify the architecture. You can have minimum number of exceptions, but there is never going to be a case where you are going to have zero exception. Okay, something is going to go bad. So how, what are the best practices? So let's say if you are trying to integrate and my assumption is going to be rather than having, let's say 500 exceptions, maybe you have 100 exceptions. But as a business guy, as a sales guy, I'm trying to close my deal here. Okay, when I'm trying to put my pricing, I don't want any technical errors. Okay, that's what I want as a, as a business. So that's why I said, you know what? For me, integration doesn't work. Now, in your case, what would be the best practices? Let's say if somebody is trying to integrate these two systems, and as a business guy, I don't want to see any exceptions. Is it possible not to have any exceptions in the integration? Well, I, again, I, I struggle a little bit with the term exceptions. Um, uh, I, I might need you to clarify that. If you're talking about errors or simply deviations from the algorithmic defined price where you know maybe I can override it, that's not an error per se. That could be an exception. And then you get into the whole approval process and so on. Um, so I, I think you can do relatively error-free integration, to be honest, I do think that. Um, I think then you introduce tremendous complexity when you say, okay, now certain levels of either value or certain levels in the organization, there you permit these overrides. The overrides in some cases are within somebody's scope of authority. In other cases, it requires approvals. It needs to go upstairs. And you have to come up with, in my experience, for, for the approvers now, you have to come up with perhaps complex reporting that tells them at the item level, this is the margin for the order. At the order level though, though they gave a price break here, that was just shrewd salesmanship because overall the margin on the order is great but the customer was really fixated on this one item and they gave him a special exceptional price break that is much lower than we would normally give if it were sort of a sole independent unit sold um, or line item. But in the context of the full order, you know, this is actually pretty attractive order. So, you know, I'm going to approve that. You know, this kind of override for maybe good legitimate reasons yep. is something that introduces a lot of complexity downstream or upstream, however you want to define you know, approvals. Um, and, and, and so I, I, again, hearken back to that, that it's, it's that, that kind of manual override exception as opposed to errors that I find particularly challenging. Love it. Thank you so much, Tom. Uh, Dave, I'm actually going to come to you. So from your experience, when you look at these multiple systems and you have seen a lot of different, have you seen any challenges when these systems talk to each other and they are trying to control the price? Yeah, I, I think I might be an outlier if I said otherwise. So I'm, I'm going to go back to kind of my uh, original example um, when you brought up the the CPQ. And in that particular example, we, we are also doing uh, CPQ, if you can believe that or not. We, we had a lot of, lot of complexity going on there. And, uh, you know, in that particular case, that ended up being when when we had competing, if you will. So when we were looking at CPQ versus what was coming out of the ERP, uh, CPQ would win and we would take those and, and blow that into ERP. And, and that was now the new source of truth, so to speak. And and again, I go back to these complexities when you're talking about the siloed systems, because you have to define where does that source of truth, you know, where does it live, right? If you're doing, uh, again, I'll, I'll kind of use a similar example. If you're using CPQ and then maybe kits or something inside of your ERP, you know, how, how, how are you going to decide who ultimately wins that battle when the sales order is launched? Right. Like, and then again, I go back to that channel issue. Where did it originate from? And, you know, if it originated from your e-com and that is static pricing, but you've got, you know, kits inside of your ERP that you're trying to launch on a sales order, you know, what wins, right? And then how do you maintain all of that stuff? And that, that to me is really the biggest complexity and challenge as we talk about integration or multiple systems, not just where does the source of truth live, but but how do we maintain that uh, from, from a, a standpoint of consistency? Because that is the biggest challenge I see from a, a customer facing standpoint. And that to me doesn't matter if we're talking B2B or B2C or, you know, uh, uh, potentially both in certain organizations. Um, you know, that's where you're going to feel it the most. And that's where you're going to introduce the most issues um, that potentially are going to impact your financials. So yes, there's a lot of considerations to be had on the internal side of things and how that impacts 
from a, an efficiency standpoint, obviously from a you know financial standpoint as well, especially with some of the things like that you know Tom just went into in terms of that approval process and all of that. I kind of treat those as a bit of an outlier just because uh, I think the bigger issues are things that we've already brought up in terms of that, uh, the siloed nature, the not having the architecture in place to understand where the source of truth has to live and how we're going to actually fire off these business processes to ultimately get us to a point where we have a sales order and a work order, right? Or we have a pick ticket or whatever it is that we're trying to accomplish. Like if we don't start from that standpoint and look at it from the customer perspective, um, we're really going to be struggling when it comes to what happens internally and who wins the price arc. Okay, amazing. So I am going to have just one follow-up question uh, and just a brief commentary overall from the workflow perspective that you might be able to. So obviously, I think we all agree that we are going to keep the pricing inside ERP. Hopefully, people agree with that. And let's say if we are keeping that, okay, what is going to be the frequency uh, based on which we are going to be publishing this pricing? What is going to be the approval flow? Let's say if marketing is going to be the consumer of the pricing uh, from the from the system. So do you want to describe the overall work- workflow if multiple channels might be involved, multiple systems may be involved? In the architecture. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's going to depend on what's kind of market, you know, accepted by the market, right? So like in the example that I've kind of been using throughout the conversation, I'll use that one and, and kind of stick there. Uh, that was uh, pricing that was typically updated annually, customer facing. And then from an internal cost structure standpoint, how we would interface with that, it was typically going to, we were going to try to limit it to one time per year, right? But we we all know how that happened. So, and, and the reality of that. So what would typically happen is that, you know, raw material, we get raw material price increases multiple times throughout the year. And then we go through and we'd update, you know, our, maybe our QT pricing on the ERP side. And then we'd have to make the decision or consideration, all right, now what do we want to do? Do we want to rope into our e-com pricing? Are we going to just blow that QT price back out to our CPQ system? Uh, so my whole point is it's a moving target and it really depends on what you need to do from the customer facing standpoint and what some of the internal um let's call them politics since we're using such fun words these days, (laughs) what the internal politics of your organization is like and what the infrastructure lays out. Okay, thank you so much for being honest, Dave. Really appreciate it. Okay, so the only thing we can take right now is going to be closing advice. Chris, what would be your closing advice? Sure, so as you look at pricing, again, a couple things. Look at the amount of manual overrides and exceptions that are gonna be in the scheme that you come up with. The other thing is uh, make sure it fits. Make sure you're not creating a, a big burden for your customer to put a PO in that matches your sales order. So. A little validation there. Make the accounting easy. And how it hits your P&L. Are you screwing up your top line or otherwise? And I think that's it. Like I said, and maintenance. Figure out how much effort it's going to take to to maintain that pricing before you come up with this monstrosity imaginative pricing. So anyway. Okay. Love it. Thanks so much, Chris. David, what would be your closing advice? Yeah. Keep it simple. End of the day, 95% of the time doesn't need to be as complex as probably think it needs to be. Boil it down. What are you trying to accomplish? What goals are you trying to hit? Set the price appropriately. That's, then the rest will work itself out. <laughs> All right. Amazing. Thank you so much, David. Tom, what would be your closing advice, please? Pretty similar to David's, actually. Um, I, I was saying this a few times during our session. You know, Accept and deal with the complexity that you must. Avoid the complexity that you can. And in many cases, the complexity that you can avoid is in my world, the IT world. Don't create a Frankenstein. Okay, love it. Thank you so much, Tom, for that. Dave, what would be your closing advice? Yeah, I think everybody really nailed it, but I, I would sum it up to say, uh, you know, architect before you implement and don't be afraid to model in some test environments, uh, especially if you are looking at introducing multiple systems or integrating multiple systems. Uh, I would I would highly recommend modeling some of those, you know, some of what you're looking to ultimately implement uh, in some test environments. Could not agree more. So that's it for today, guys. If you joined for the first time, this was part of our digital transformation series for which we meet every Thursday at 5.30 Eastern. We pick one topic related to... Tom, uh, you had a comment, sorry. Uh, we did not make a note of the fact that it is Happy St. Patrick's Day. So Happy St. Patrick's Day. I got my Day. Ireland <laughs> cup and I saw Chris... Is this was, the color here, guys? Chris uh, was attired. Chris was correctly attired, yes. <laughs>
Okay, happy St. Patrick's Day, guys. Uh, so again, that's it for today, guys. Uh, you know, and if you join for the first time, make sure you guys are going to check us out next week. We are going to be here with another topic related to digital transformation. On that note, thanks uh, everybody for your time and insights today. Have a great night. Great, appreciate thanks, it. Man. Guys. Thanks, everybody. Thanks a lot. Great conversation. Bye-bye. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests, and hopefully, you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about David Dozer, head over to blazeitweb.com. It's B-L-A-Z-E-I-T-W-E-B.com. If you want to learn more about Chris Garadini, head over to turnkeytech.com. It's C-U-R-N-K-E-Y-T-E-C.com. If you want to learn more about Dave Chrysler, head over to thechrysler.club. It's T-H-E-C-R-Y-S-L-E-R dot C-L-U-B. If you want to learn more about Tom Rodden, follow and connect with him on LinkedIn. Links and more information will also be available in the show. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Burj Tanner, who shares his insights into dynamic pricing into how dynamic pricing works and how e-commerce companies can take advantage of it. Also, the interview with Andrew Deutsch, who discusses pricing and discounting strategies for companies. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you and I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.